You're listening to episode 201 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibord, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we kick off a three-part series on question and answer 80 in the Heidelberg Catechism, led by President of Mid-America, Dr. Cornelis Venema. This series begins with an overview of the history of the Catechism and the origins specifically of Q&A 80, which deals with what it calls the Popish Mass. The topic of our podcast, this one and two subsequent podcasts, is an interesting question and answer that was added to the Heidelberg Catechism at the time of its writing very early on. It's question and answer 80 that deals with the what the answer calls the difference between the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass. I, I'm Dr. Venom, and I wrote once upon a time a short confessional study booklet on this topic, the Lord's Supper and the Popish Mass. And what I'm going to say is, in significant measure, uh, a summary of, of the book. In this first session, what I'd like to do is treat a little bit broadly the history and origin of the Heidelberg Catechism. And then in the second session, we'll deal with what question and answer 80 says about the Lord's Supper in distinction from the understanding of the Mass in the Roman Catholic Church. And then in our third session, I'll broach the topic of should we continue to uh, embrace, make use, and give confessional status to question and answer 80? We'll see that in some churches that historically hold to the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 80 have been sort of put on the shelf, italicized and footnoted, and no longer are regarded that question and answer as a valid statement of the church's view of the difference between the Lord's Supper and the uh, mass of the Roman Catholic Church. First of all, then, the history and background of the Heidelberg Catechism, and in particular, the inclusion of this particular question in the Catechism. When we think of the Reformation, we think of Switzerland as a place where the Reformed faith took significant root not so much in the uh, in Germany where Lutheranism was predominant. Now the Palatinate, where the city of Heidelberg to this day is located in Germany, is a section of the country of Germany today, but also an important district or segment of the ancient Holy Roman Empire. And it was in this particular region in Germany, in the Rhineland, somewhat removed, but close, broadly speaking, geographically to Switzerland, that though historic Lutheranism prevailed throughout Germany, and even in the Palatinate for a period of time, just a little history here, before Frederick III, who was the architect of preparing the Heidelberg Catechism, became the elector and the Count Palatine of the Palatinate in 1553, or I should say 1552, uh, his predecessor, the elector preceding him was Otto Henry, who was the elector in the region until 15, 
1955, which was the period where there was a settlement made in Germany between Roman Catholic and Lutheran to his own region, his own religion, or his own religion, his own reason. The Peace of Augsburg was settled in 1555. Germany became, in some of its regions, Roman Catholic by profession, and other regions, Lutheran. And that was true of the Palatinate under the reign of Otto Henry. However, his successor, Frederick III, the architect of the Heidelberg Catechism, was, uh, for a variety of reasons, a moderate professor of the Reformed faith. He never explicitly declared himself Reformed, but one of the occasions for the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism was his dissatisfaction with the Lutheran view of Christ's bodily presence, sacramentally in, with, and under the sacramental elements. He was also uh, persuaded that the Lutheran view of the presence of Christ bodily in, with, and under the elements involved an error Christologically in terms of what's called the ubiquity or the being present wherever the sacrament is administered of the actual body and blood of Christ. That's a whole subject in itself. But the main point here is the electors, there were seven of them. Frederick was one. These were people of great significance because it was their task when a new emperor was elected to cast their vote. Well, he ultimately, after Otto Henry had overseen the, you might say, the becoming Lutheran of this section of Germany and the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick III moved in a more reformed direction, which leads me to the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism. It was Frederick's desire, if you read the preface to the Catechism, to achieve at least three purposes by the writing of another catechism of the Reformation. One was to unify the churches and believers in the region of the Palatinate in their commitment to what could be called, the Heidelberg Catechism is a very congenial, warm document to a a broadly reformed, but not a sharp-edged reformed uh, position. So that his primary interest then was to bring about a unity of confessional understanding among the churches and believers in the Palatinate that was of a moderately Reformed, not Lutheran. And I won't detail the sort of elaborate debates between Lutheran and Reformed in this period further than I have on the Lord's Supper, but as I've indicated, uh, Frederick was moving in a more Reformed direction. Now, The Catechism was first, upon being written, published in 1563. Uh, Before I say anything more about that, uh, there's a long-standing debate historically regarding the authorship of the Catechism. It's usually traditionally ascribed to two figures, Zacharias Ursinus, a Reformed theologian in Heidelberg, and uh, Caspar Olivianus, the sort of court preacher also a theologian, and as tradition has it, they co-authored the Catechism. Now, in more recent reflection and study of this history, 
It's generally agreed today, and I would reference here a fine study by Lyle Bierma, An Introduction to the Heidelberg Catechism, and as well an unpublished study in terms of mimeographed form by Fred Kloster on the Heidelberg Catechism, its origin and history. It's generally agreed that Ursinus was the primary author. And the evidence for that is is that he wrote a larger catechism and a shorter catechism before the Heidelberg Catechism was written. And I think roughly 90 of the questions in our present received text of the Heidelberg Catechism correspond largely to questions and answers in one of those two confessions. So the the consensus opinion today is, is that the primary author was Ursinus, Olivianus had a hand in it, and we'll see in a moment, possibly a particularly important hand in the preparation of Q&A 80. But at the end of the day, it was a team project orchestrated by the commission and order mandate of uh, Elector Frederick III. And there was a broad ecumenical, in terms of the churches of the Palatinate, agreement that once the catechism was prepared, this is indeed a statement of the faith of the churches that we want to uh, embrace. But back to the purposes of the catechism, it was not only to unify the churches in a broadly reformed confessional standpoint, the second person was, purpose was, as is true of all catechisms, it has the form of traditional catechisms, you have exposition of the Apostles' Creed in the second part, you have in the third part dealing with the Christian life of gratitude, uh, an exposition of the Ten Commandments and of the Lord's Prayer. It was, it was commissioned by Electric Frederick III and written to be an instrument in the catechetical instruction of the young people, whether in the schools or in the home or in the churches, uh, for nurturing them in the faith and in a Reformed confession. The third purpose, and this is a particularly interesting feature of the Heidelberg Catechism, that was very explicitly set forth and part of the intention of the original authors, was that it would be a rule of faith for preaching, which is the occasion for very early on in the first year of the printing of the Catechism. It was divided into 52 Lord's Days because it was being used— in a second catechetical service uh, in the churches as a guide to the preaching-teaching ministry. Uh, It's interesting that that particular practice caught on very much among the continental churches, particularly in in the Netherlands, not so much in terms of subsequent tradition in the Reformed churches in other places, such as Germany, Switzerland, and even in uh, the British Isles or the uh, England and Scotland. Uh, but that was very much their purpose. Now, as to the question of the inclusion of question and answer 80, this too is a very fascinating history. There were four editions of the Catechism that came out in quick succession in 1563. The first, a German edition, the second, another German edition, the third, a Latin, and the fourth, a German. In the first edition, the German edition, there was no question and answer 80. In the second edition, 
there was a question and answer 80 a little less lengthy than question and answer, the new question and answer 80 in the third and in every subsequent edition. This question and answer that was, as the language in the second edition puts it, omitted in the first. Uh, This is the question and answer that we're dealing with that most particularly focuses on the distinction and difference between what the Roman Catholic Church teaches regarding the the Mass and what the Reformed churches historically understand by the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, wherein they differ. And there's a lot of mystery, as is often true with matters historical, as to uh, what that language in the second edition omitted It might suggest that the printer somehow neglected to include it, but it's very clear that uh, in Olivianus' correspondence in this time frame with Calvin, that the elector at some point actually ordered the inclusion of an additional question and answer, 80. Um, So it wasn't that it was an inadvertent omission from the first Edition. It was, in some sense, by Elector Frederick III regarded as a question and answer dealing with a topic that needed to be addressed and that had not been appropriately addressed in the first uh, printing. I don't want to get into too many details historical, but it's fascinating. There's a there's a fa- famous copy of the first edition of the. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, that has pasted in on a separate page question and answer 80, and with a notation that it was omitted, uh, which has also reinforced the notion that perhaps it was already part of the original catechism, but somehow the printer neglected to include it. I happen to be of the conviction, and that tends to be the prevailing opinion now, that uh, some think Frederick III may have had a hand in the actual writing of this particular question and answer. I argue in my book that it's more likely that if anyone authored it, Olivianus did, at the direction, as he puts it in his letter to Calvin. Uh, I also argue in my uh, little booklet on this topic that it has very much the flavor of Calvin, the way in which Calvin distinguishes between a proper view of the Lord's Supper and the understanding within the Roman Catholic Church of the Mass. Uh, and so I, it's, it's merely a historical hypothesis, but I think at the order of the emperor, or not the emperor, elector the Frederick III, Olivianus wrote it, <clears throat> and Olivianus, in his communication with Calvin, had been a student of, of Calvin, um, echoes in some ways uh, language that you'll find in Calvin when he distinguishes and contrasts the, Re- the reform view from the uh, Roman Catholic understanding of the question and answer in question, number 80. Now, another observation or two about question and answer uh, 80 and its inclusion. It's possible historically that sometime between the printing of the first edition of the Catechism and the second, third, and fourth, 
where this question is added in its initial edition in shorter form than in its third edition and in the received edition, that it was added by the order of Lector Frederick III because they had received word concerning the uh, September 7, 1562 session, 17th, I believe it was the 17th session of the Council of Trent, that treated the subject on the uh, decree regarding the sacrifice of the Mass. Now, in our day, when you can send emails and communicate instantaneously, uh, very easily with anyone throughout all the world, uh, you might wonder about this hypothesis, but it's quite likely there's not a great distance in time between September 1562 and the first edition printing of the Catechism, Heidelberg, in 15, January of 1563. And it's quite possible that the occasion for the order by the elector that this particular question and answer should be included uh, and needed to be included was as a direct response to the emphasis in that decree of the Council of Trent that was meeting in a variety of sessions over quite a number of years during this period in answer to uh, the Reformation and Reformation developments, that Electra said, now that we've received report and received the decree that has been set forth by the Council of Trent that the Mass is an actual representing in an unbloody manner of the sacrifice of Christ made upon the cross in a bloody manner, which has value propitiatory for our salvation and sanctification, that he felt that it was necessary to speak explicitly to by way of an answer to what the Council of Trent was saying. Well, I'll leave it at that. Uh, basically, uh, what I've been suggesting to you that is that within the framework of the preparation of the Heidelberg Catechism as a moderate statement of the Reformed faith that would unify the uh, Reformation in the region of the Palatinate, which was Elector Frederick III's uh, desire, together with Elector Frederick's general preference for a Reformed understanding of the sacrament over against some of the emphases within historic Lutheranism, that that plus the development and more articulated presentation of the doctrine of the Mass that had come to his attention uh, even more recently, not long before the Catechism was prepared and published in the early 1563 uh, period, this is the occasion and setting for a specific article that spells out very explicitly wherein the difference lies between a biblical and Reformed understanding of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the understanding that was set forth by the Council of Trent representing the Roman Catholic Church's response to the Reformation in late 1562.
Next time, Dr. Venema provides a detailed analysis of question and answer 80 from the Heidelberg Catechism and discusses the Eucharistic elements of bread and wine in the Mass and how the Catechism's teaching differs from the doctrinal standards set forth by the Council of Trent in the 16th century. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with friends or family. Your support helps us bring more engaging content to your ears and helps us foster not just a community of lifelong learners, but thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.